God, we love you. And we are thankful once again to be able to be in this place, to be able to, to open up your word and to be able to, uh, to hear from you in very real and tangible ways, God. God, we're thankful for this word that we hold in our hands, this, this timeless word that you have given us. God, I pray this morning that as we open this, that you would just speak through me this morning. That the words that come out of my mouth wouldn't be just my words, God, but they would be your words for your people on your day in this place right now. God, no one, no one needs to hear from me this morning. We all desire a word from you. And God, would you, would you grant us that blessing this morning? God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, kind of a long way into this journey through Multiply. Uh, and so... Uh, but over the last few weeks, over the last five or six weeks, we've been really just kind of taking a dive in through the story of God. What is the story of God? As a disciple who makes disciples, I need to be able to know the story of God so that I can tell the story of God and bring people along on the same faith journey that I've had, correct? I need to be able to walk people through, through the story of God so they know where they fit in this story, right? Because every single one of us has a place in this story. This story is not from beginning to end, right? We have the end, but, but somewhere between, between Malachi and Revelations, right? There is a place for us. There is a place for you and for me. There should be a dot, dot, dot before Revelation because Revelation has not come yet. We know the end, but we do not know. We're, we're in this somewhere. And so if we do not know the story of God, and we don't know our place in the story of God, our role in the story of God, then how can we invite others into that story? And so this morning, we're going to kind of continue through this journey, through the Old Testament this morning. Uh, we've, we've kind of gone through quite a bit so far. We've gone through creation and the fall. We've gone through God's covenants with Abraham and with Moses. We've gone through what it looks like to be a, a covenant community. And, we, and last week we talked about this, this theme all throughout the Old Testament, and even in the New. I don't think I talked about the New Testament last week. But really, God's presence here on earth. Are we, are we just desperate for the presence of God in the way that, that Moses was desperate in Exodus chapter 33 when he said, no, I, I will, we won't go if you're not going with us. Right, are we desperate for the presence of God in that same way? And so this morning we're going to kind of continue this, this journey through the Old Testament, through this, they're kind of looking at this theme of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This week, that's the, that's the theme in our Multiply books and our small groups this week, and, and I want to just unpack that. And, and to do that, I, wanted, I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if, if you're going, if you want to get there, it's, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's page number 219, 2 Samuel Number seven, and just so for a little bit of context, right? We've as you're going there, we've gone through quite a bit of the Old Testament so far, right? We, we've talked about some of these themes, and and we've seen that finally, after years of sin and years of struggle, that the Israelites have have inherited the Promised Land, right? We read in in Joshua about the the conquest and God's faithfulness to to the people of Israel as they come in and they inherit this Promised Land, and then we read in Judges. God, Judges is kind of like this roller coaster before we get to the Samuels, right, of, of God's faithfulness and Israel's sin and unfaithfulness. And as Israel sins and as Israel is unfaithful, God raises up someone to call them out of that, and, and they, they go for it for a while, and then they go back in, they dip back into this, to this sin and this unfaithfulness, and God raises someone up again, and then there's this roller coaster in Judges. 
And then we get to Samuel. And Samuel is the last of the judges. He's a prophet that, that God sends to Israel. And, and it's at this point in Israel's history where Israel becomes a monarchy for the first time. Before we get to 2 Samuel, and, and I want you to stay there. I'm not going to read anything else. But in 1 Samuel 8, 9, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8 is where Israel first begins to ask for a king, for a, for a human king. See, up until this point, Israel had been a theocracy. The, the king of Israel was God, right? The person who sat on the throne was God. Israel had a king, and his name was Yahweh. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we begin to see the Israelites, as, as, uh, <clears throat> as things begin to happen, we begin to see the Israelites, they, they, ask, they ask Samuel for a king, for a human king like the other nations. And Samuel, he goes back to God and he says, God, I don't know about this. And God looks at him, or God speaks to him and he says, give them what they want, paraphrase. Give them what they want. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Give them what they want. Give them this human king that they desire. All right, and so Samuel anoints Saul as the first human king of Israel in chapter 8. And seven chapters later, God rejects Saul as king. And then we begin to read about David and, and David's and, and David begins to, is chosen by God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we begin to see this covenant that God makes with then King David. Let's read this. I'm just going to read the whole chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm not going to read it yet. Sorry. I forgot something. Because long story short, here's this. David becomes king. God makes a covenant with David. And it's not unlike any of the covenants that we've seen already. Right? As, as we go through, you'll begin to, to, I want you just to keep in mind some of the covenants that we've already talked about. The covenant with Abraham, the multiple covenants with Abraham, right? Exodus 12 and 15 and 17. Uh, the covenant with Moses that we talked about. I want you to keep some of these in mind. Now we'll read. <clears throat> After the king was settled in his palace... And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan, this is David, David said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. All right, here's David kind of reflecting like, look at what I have around me. Here I am living in this palace and yet God, as, you'll, as you remember in, these, in what we've talked about before, God remains in this tent of, of meeting, in this Ark of the Covenant, right? We, we, this is where God remains. This is where the glory of God remains. So David says, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the Ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I, did commanded, <clears throat> whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, 
from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will, <clears throat> will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise your, up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, have you also spoken about the future of the house of your servant and this decree? Sovereign Lord, is this for a mere, mere human? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and have made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you, as we have heard with your own ears, with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself? And to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Now, did you catch some of these? And I told you this is a covenant with David, but nowhere in here is there necessarily the word covenant, right? But I think uh, with the covenants that we have already seen in Genesis and in Exodus, we, we see the similarities, right? Verse 9, we see, I have been with you forever. <clears throat> I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. That's straight up Genesis 12, 2, right? Verse, verse, verse 10, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed, right? This, again, is, is God's covenant to Abraham, right? And we see this again in verse 12 and verse 14 and verse 22 and verse 23 and 24. We see all these connections 
to these covenants that we've already talked about, the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with Moses. Right, we see all these connections. And, and what we see here is, is kind of a, another covenant that God is making with people. Right, by my count, this is, this is really the fifth covenant. Right, he makes this, this covenant with, with Adam, this kind of covenant of creation with Adam. And with, with Noah, who we didn't actually talk about during this whole thing, but is in there in Genesis as well. He makes this covenant of, of preservation. I will no longer wipe the face of, by a flood. Right, And here's your sign. It's a rainbow. Right? With Abraham, he makes this covenant of promise. Right? This land I give to you, this will be for your ancestors. Your ancestors will be as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the sand. Right? We have this covenant. With Moses, we have the covenant of law. Right? The, the covenant of being a, a, a covenant community. Right? This, this law that he gives us. And now with David, we have this, this covenant of kingdom. God saying, I will establish this kingdom. This is, the, this is the beginning of, of the, king, the, the, the kind of the story of the kingdom of God in Scripture. is 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is where the kingdom of God really starts. And, and God is, is really showing through all of this, right, that, that his name is, is the one, the only one to be praised. Right? God, God kind of knew. God is, God's pretty smart, right? He's all-knowing, so he knows everything. God knew that eventually his people would want to have a king for themselves. He knew that at some point they would, they would be tempted to have this, this human king like every other nation in the world. And he actually, he talks about it in the book of Deuteronomy. If you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17 with me. Deuteronomy 17, he actually begins to, to walk them through what it, what it will look like when they get to the point where they desire a human king. This is what it should look like. Right, Deuteronomy chapter 17, starting at verse 14. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like the nations around us. Right, God's in advance. This is what you will do. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. All right, here's, here's what God is saying. When you get to this point where you desire a human king, a, a flesh and blood king that will rule over you, this king needs to, be, needs to follow me so closely. He needs to just read my law and know my law every single day. Here's, here's what God is saying in this point. God is saying, when you desire this flesh and blood king, this king needs to follow me and know me so closely that when you follow him, in essence, you are following me because I am still the king over Israel. Right? There is this flesh and blood king, yes, but, but this king should be so close to my heart, so close to my law, so close to me, that when you follow this man or this woman, that you would be, in essence, following 
me. This is the whole design of the kingdom of God. That God is the one who reigns. That, that Yahweh is king. That God is king no matter who is the king, the flesh and blood king over you and over me. This is the, this is the whole idea of the kingdom of God. This is the whole point. This is the whole design. That the, and that the earthly kingdom reflects the heavenly kingdom. That the earthly kingdom looks no different than if God was ruling himself because the flesh and blood king is so close to the heart of God that where, he, where if we follow him, we follow God. As we head back to 2 Samuel, this, this whole design is that the, this Davidic kingdom, this, this, this kingdom of, of David reflects the kingdom of God. Now, in any kingdom, as we go back to, to 2 Samuel chapter 7, there are, there are three really facets of the kingdom, right? There's the people, there's the place, and there's the purpose. In the kingdom of God, there is no different, right? There's, there are God's people and God's place for God's purpose, now, as, as David is, is trying to, as the kingdom of, of David is reflecting the kingdom of God, what are, what are these three facets? Well, they're God's people. How does, how does God relate to his people through the kingdom, in the kingdom of David? How does God do this? All right, verse 12 and 13 in chapter 7 give us a little hint here. When your days are over and you rest up with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Right? So, so God is, is relating to his people through this king. He's going to establish this kingdom through the son of David, who we know as Solomon. Right? God, is going to God is going to relate to his people through Solomon. If you actually get to, to 1 Chronicles chapter 22, I know we're going to be turning, turning just a little bit this morning. I apologize. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. David is, is nearing the end of his life here. And, and I want us to see this picture of God raising Solomon up as king and really as a son. As a, and as a son reflects the father. All right? Chapter 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Verse 6 through verse 10. Then he called for his son Solomon. This is David. Then David called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Sound familiar? This is 2 Samuel 7, right? I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You're not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. All right, this is Solomon being established here. It actually gets a lot deeper if you turn to chapter 29, First Chronicles chapter 29. Verse 22, <clears throat> actually kind of the second part of verse 22 here. Then they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be priest. And then there's this verse here. So Solomon 
sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. Now I want you to, to just hear that verse. Now Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. Who sits on the throne of God? God sits on the throne of God. But here we have Solomon, King Solomon, sitting on the throne of God. And so, so we see this connection here, right? The, the kingdom of God is, God is always king. Even though there may be a flesh and blood ruler over, over the Israel, over the kingdom of Israel, right? There is a flesh and blood king here, but this king is sitting on the throne of God. He's sitting on the throne of the Lord. All right, so who is really the king here? God is really the king. And God relates to God's people through this king. Through this king. Back to 2 Samuel here. Where? So God's people. God relates to God's people through this king. Through the one that he has anointed, through the one that he has established. Where? We see in the Old Testament, we've seen already, the importance of kind of land, right? We see God promising land to, to Abraham's ancestors. We see him, again, to, to David here. I will give your ancestors a place to, a place to live. Right? We see this importance of land, right, in, seven, <clears throat> in 710. Here's what it says. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning. And I have done and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. In the kingdom of God, where is this, where is this place that God has established? God has established in his kingdom a place where his people can come and find rest. In God's kingdom, we have a place where we can go and we can enjoy rest. Remember, God's people here, the Israelites, have been wanderers for their entire lives. Right? They've, been, they've been wandering from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. They were, they were exiled, and now they're back. They're now in the promised land. Right? And God's saying, I will give you a place here, and in this place, you will find rest. No longer do you need to be moving and shaking and going in all these different places. I will give you rest. God says, God says, in, in this kingdom I will establish that this kingdom will be a place of rest. But not only that, this kingdom in 713, he was the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish, he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son when he does wrong, I will punish him. But my, and then he goes on, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever, right? But here's, here's verse 13. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, the kingdom that God is establishing is a kingdom in which God's name is made great. It's a kingdom where God's people can find rest, and it's a kingdom where God's name can be made great. This is the place that God has established. What is the purpose? Why? Why, why these promises? Why, why would God give us these promises? Why would God promise David these things? Why is he establishing this kingdom? How is he establishing it? Why is he doing this? I think we read in this, in this passage, verse 23 and 24, that he does it to, to redeem a chosen people. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth. I love this. Who is like your people Israel? 
the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. He's, why are we doing this? To, to redeem a chosen people. God, in this, in this kingdom that God has established, he has redeemed his people. And not only that, it's, it's, he has redeemed these people so that they would worship him. So that they would worship him. Verse 25 and 26. And now, Lord, keep, your, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant in his house. Do as your promise so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. And then verse 28, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. So this kingdom that God has established, the kingdom of God that, that, that God is establishing here with David, it's a kingdom where, where God relates to his people through the human king. In a place, this kingdom of God is a place where the people of God can find rest and can see the glory of God. Why? So that he can redeem a living people. And so that these people can worship him. In 1 Kings, we see, we see kind of some of the fulfillment of this. 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon is, has actually finished building this house for God. He's finished building the temple. And as it, in his prayer of dedication, here's what he says in chapter 8, verse 41. As the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your na- great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray toward this temple. Then they hear from heaven your dwelling place, Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. So even in this dedication, we we see that this is the picture of the earthly kingdom. It's a a redeemed people making making God's greatness known throughout the nations. I think that's just amazing. That even, even in the building of this temple, it's not just about God's chosen people, Israel. Right? Solomon even says, do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that they may know that your name is great. Right? Do, do, whatever, do whatever they ask, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people, Israel, and that they may know that this house I have built bears your name. I see the focus is not on themselves. The focus is on, is on reaching the nations and, and, and bringing all of them in and, and letting them all see and share in the glory of God. See, this is the purpose. But here's, here's the problem that comes up. Is that Solomon is not the, the only king or the last king of Israel. And these kings were, were not very, some were good and some were really bad. And so some of the, this covenant, the, some of this stuff is just... There were, there were some really bad times. And it gets to a point where we read in Hosea chapter 3. gets to this point. I went too far. gets to this point where, 
where in Hosea chapter 3, for the Israelites will live many days without king or prince. God has removed the king from them, right? They'll live many days without the king or the prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will become trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in these last days. They have rejected this. They have rejected everything. There's been these good kings, there's been these bad kings, and everything just kind of blows up. And so how does the kingdom of God move on? How does the kingdom of God continue? This this paves the way for the the kingdom of God not being, being led no longer by a human flesh and blood king, but for a divine king to come in and to reign in the kingdom of God. And so we leave the Old Testament for a second. We go to the New Testament and we see in Luke chapter 1, right, God once again establishing this kingdom. And how does God relate to God's people? Right? Chapter, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's significant. A descendant of David, right? The people will be running back to, the, to, the, to King David, right? A descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You skip over to chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. Now here's here's what this is. The Messiah is literally the anointed one. He is the anointed one. This is the new anointed king in the kingdom of God. This kingdom is being established through Jesus Christ. Right? He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. The Lord. Yeah, and this is, this is, this is God's people. This is, this is how God relates to God's people and the new kingdom of God, that, that God literally is, is with his people. He's dwelling with his people in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? In Jesus Christ, we find our rest. In Jesus Christ, this is God's place, I'm saying now. I, I got ahead of myself, I'm sorry. Jesus Christ is how God relates to God's people. Right? Well, what about the place? What about the place in God's kingdom? In Jesus Christ, we find our rest. Right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus says. Right? Just as this is in the old kingdom, it, God says, I will give you rest. In Jesus Christ, we find our rest. In Jesus Christ, we see the glory of the Father. Right? For we have, we have beheld the glory, the glory of the one and only. Right? John chapter 1. This is, we see the glory of God. This is the kingdom of God and God's place being established. But why? Why? Why is God's kingdom being established once again here in the New Testament, here with Jesus? Why is this happening? Well, to save a chosen people for the same reason. To save a chosen people. 
people. And here's what I want us to see this morning. This is, if you take away nothing else from me, which I know that was a lot of stuff. If you take away nothing else, I want you to get this this morning. That the kingdom of God is, I hope we see this morning, that the kingdom of God is not just something that we're waiting for at some point. That the kingdom of God is not just something that, that we go to when we die. The kingdom of God is not waiting for us in heaven. The kingdom of God is right now. That the kingdom of God has been established from the Old Testament to the, from the times of David to through Jesus Christ to now we are living in the kingdom of God. And so what does that mean for us? That means that our lives need to reflect. We need to give our lives for the advancement of this kingdom of God. Amen. That we don't just sit here and wait for the moment where we can somehow just finally reign in the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom of God right now. There's this saying that people say that the kingdom of God is, is already not yet. The kingdom of God is already not yet. We are already living in the kingdom of God, but we have not yet seen the fullness of what the kingdom of God is. Amen. See, the kingdom of God is, is for you. And the kingdom of God is for me. From the time of David, reestablishing Jesus Christ Right now, today, you and I live in the kingdom of God, and it's our responsibility as citizens of the kingdom of God to advance this kingdom, to bring others into the kingdom. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, hear this. Right now, in this moment, the kingdom of God is here. So how does this affect the way that we go out and that we live our lives? Man, it, it changes everything. It changes everything. That our citizenship is in this kingdom of God. That even though there might be a, a flesh and blood ruler over us, the real ruler is God, the Father. And our responsibility is to do everything that we can in this life to further this kingdom, to advance this kingdom. Why? Just like First Kings. So that your name will be made great. So that they may know that your name is great, God. That's our purpose the redeemed people reaching the nations with the glory of God. How do we live in the kingdom of God? That's a question I want you to struggle with this week and think about this week. How do we live in this kingdom? How do we live as citizens of the kingdom of God? Let's pray. God, God, we love you. And, uh, God, forgive us for all the times that we, that we don't live according to the kingdom. God, may we this morning claim our citizenship in this kingdom of God. And may that change everything. May we live our lives from this point forward as citizens of the kingdom of God, looking to further the kingdom of God, looking to us to 
just continue this kingdom of God. God, would you challenge us this week? Would you convict us this week? Would you, would you show us ways in which we can live in the kingdom? God, we need you and we love you. And today we claim you as king. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me just pray this prayer of blessing over you. May our God, the King of all kings, Lord of all lords, go ahead of you. May he reign in your lives this week. And may your life reflect his kingdom. Go in peace and go in love and be bold and make a difference for him this week, wherever you may find yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.